welcome to Conversations with Matt DeLockery. We've spent a lot of time slowly working our way through chapter one of the letter because Paul was carefully laying out his thoughts on Christianity. As we move into chapter two, Paul is going to compare Christianity to the other worldview on offer in Colossae, something we will call the philosophy, because he refers to it as a philosophy, even though he doesn't explicitly name what it is. Today we're going to start with chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, and look at what is known as the thematic statement. Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As I said, chapter 2, verses 6 to 7 are known as the thematic statement. These two verses basically lay out what is going to happen in the rest of the letter. There are two main parts to the thematic statement. One, receiving Christ, which you see in the phrase, therefore, as you have received Christ. And two, living a Christ-like life, which you see in the phrase, so walk in him. In the rest of chapter two, we're basically going to be looking at receiving Christ. What does it mean to become a Christian? Paul talked about this a little bit in chapter 1 from a high-level perspective. He talked about being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And he talked about becoming reconciled to God and being presented as perfect, holy, blameless, and without reproach before God. In this chapter, we will go into more detail about all of this. All of this stuff happened, sure, but how did it happen? What did Christ actually do to you to transfer you into his kingdom and reconcile you to God. And when we're done with that, Paul is going to compare what Christ does to you and for you with what the philosophers say you should do. The two paths are going to be compared. Then in chapter 3, we're going to look at what it's like to live as a Christian, the so walk in him part. This will get into the daily life thing. You know, what are we supposed to do from day to day? All of these things are connected. There's a direct connection between who Christ is and what he has done for us. And there is a direct connection between what he has done for us and how we should live. We will cover each of those as we get to them. The how we should live part won't happen until chapter 3, but we're going to cover the overall structure of the connections between these things in this chapter. So, if you've ever wondered how your actions are actually connected to theology, we're going to be talking about that as we look at chapters 2 and 3. Now, as I said, in these two verses, verses 6 to 7, Paul is giving a general overview of what he is going to cover in the rest of the letter. Let's take a look at these verses in more detail. Allow me to read the verses one more time, highlighting two words. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The words received and taught point toward the official passing on of oral tradition. Given the emphasis about Christ in the thematic statement, it is likely that the hymn in chapter 1 is in view. It was probably included in the body of material that the Colossians were given back when they first became Christians and the church was planted. Paul is now making reference back to the hymn and saying, Remember what you were taught. It wouldn't be the worst idea in the world to go back and re-listen to the episodes on the hymn, since they represent the foundation of the theology for the whole letter, and we will be building on that theology quite a lot as we discuss chapter 2. Something else we should notice 
is that what the Colossians receive is not some arbitrary set of doctrines or some made-up rules on how to live. The Colossians received Christ Jesus the Lord. All of the doctrines, beliefs, and rules for living flow from that. In other words, because of who Christ is, therefore, everything else. In this statement, there are two things said about who Christ is. First, he is Lord, and second, he is Christ. Now, we could spend a really long time explaining what each of those means and the significance that they carry, but that's not really necessary. In this verse, they are not being used to bring up new material, rather they are being used to refer back to everything that was said previously. So again, think back to everything that was said about Christ in chapter 1, and especially in the hymn. What we also see, and something that we should not miss, is a connection between beliefs and practice. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Beliefs and actions are connected. You were not meant to have one without the other. As we have discussed before, this was a common teaching. It was not a uniquely Christian thing to say that what you believe should be reflected in how you lived. This was common moral teaching across a variety of worldviews. That doesn't mean it's not important, though. If anything, this teaching is something we should pay all the more attention to in the modern world. It seems like today people live very inconsistently. They say one thing and do another, all the while unconsciously believing a third thing. We live in a world in which inconsistency is accepted, if not celebrated. I think this shows that people simply haven't thought things through. A lot of people today have taken in this idea from here and that idea from there, but they haven't taken any time to try to process what they have heard. They've either accepted or rejected something based on, hopefully, whether it seems reasonable to them or not, or, probably, whether they like it or not. However, thinking something is reasonable and something actually being reasonable are different. Processing ideas, discussing ideas, and evaluating ideas is definitely not cool today. And so we have the brilliant political and religious commentary that we see on social media. My point is that this idea that beliefs and actions are connected is not some throwaway point that we hear and say, oh yeah, that's nice, and then move on. For us today, this is a really important thing that we should pay attention to. If you believe something, it has implications for how you should live. So, try living it out for a while, and see whether it works out. If it doesn't actually work, then perhaps you're believing the wrong thing. Now, I don't want to get too far off into a discussion of purpose, fulfillment, and happiness, but I will say that if you live an inconsistent life, if your beliefs and actions don't line up, then you have absolutely no hope of finding those things, because you have no idea where you are. Having a map is of no use if you don't know where you are and you're unwilling to take the time to figure out where you are. If you want to get somewhere, you have to know, one, where you are, two, where you want to go, and three, how to get there. If your actions and beliefs don't line up, then you're just wandering around in the woods guessing and hoping you'll end up where you want to go. Chances are, you won't. So, back to the text. I know it's been a while, but do you remember chapter 1, verse 10 and our discussion of the word walk there? Don't worry if you don't, that was a while ago. In one ten and following, we saw a series of four participles, four words that described a person's walk with God. Here we see another list of four participles describing one's walk, but these lists are not exactly the same. 
The list in chapter 1 described what it meant to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what it meant to live correctly. This one is about what it means to remain firm in the foundation one has in Christ. Remember, the Colossians were being presented with another worldview, what we're calling the philosophy, and they're being tempted to leave Christ for that philosophy. This chapter is Paul's explanation about why Christianity is better. Here are the four participles that describes what it means to walk in the Lord. The Colossians should be 1. Rooted 2. Built up 3. Established in the faith and 4. Abounding in thanksgiving There is something that is really important to notice that doesn't really jump out at you in English versions, but it is really important. The first three participles are in the passive voice. That means that the Colossians were not doing the actions. The Colossians are not rooting, they were rooted. The rooting was done to them. The Colossians are not doing the building up, they are being built up. This is currently happening to them, but they are not responsible. And they are not establishing themselves in the faith, they are being established in the faith. Again, this is currently happening to them, but they are not responsible. What we're seeing here is called the passive voice. It means something was happening to the Colossians, but they were not responsible for the action. When we see the passive voice used in situations like this, it points towards divine activity. That means that God was doing all these things to them. Additionally, there is a time element to these first three participles. The first one is in the past tense. The Colossians were rooted. The second and the third one are in the present tense. The Colossians are being built up and are being established in the faith. What we see here is a brief account of the actions that God has been taking for the Colossians through Christ. Christ is the one who has rooted the Colossians, and he is now building them up and establishing them in the faith. These are the same actions, by the way, that he takes with all believers. Now, the last participle says that the Colossians should be abounding in thanksgiving. With all that Christ has done and is doing for them, how could their response be anything else? The proper human response is, therefore, thanksgiving. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I do want to remind you of something, we've talked about this before, that is important about thanksgiving because it is so little understood. Thanksgiving is the answer to the question, why should I live the way that God tells me to? It's not fear or punishment because God will make you. It's thanksgiving. Because of everything that God has done for you through Christ, we should be thankful and live in an appropriate manner. Anyway, back to the verses at hand. In these verses, what we are looking at are four metaphors. It's not like Christ has actually attached plant roots to the Colossians. That would be silly. The idea is that as a plant draws its strength from the soil, so the believer should be connected into Christ and draws strength from Christ. We see metaphors all the time in Scripture. Metaphors are not used to obscure meaning like some people like to think. It's not like, oh, that's a metaphor, so it doesn't really mean much. That's completely backwards. Metaphors are used to explain abstract concepts in a way that we can understand more concretely. That's not a scriptural thing, that's just what metaphors are for. Metaphors help explain abstract concepts in a more easy-to-understand way. We see metaphors being used when there is some big-picture spiritual reality being described that is really hard to, well, describe. Metaphors are meant to help us understand something that's difficult to understand. 
The simple explanation of these metaphors is that everything the Colossians seek, strength, growth, and security, is to be found in Christ. All the Colossians need to do is remain firm in their faith in him, as well as thank him for what he has done. What the thematic statement, verse 6-7, teaches us is that Christianity rests on the sufficiency of Christ. Everything is built on who Christ is and what he has done. While this seems like an obvious point to make, if that were truly obvious, the letter to the Colossians would not have been needed. There is a difference between Christ being important, perhaps simply as the founder of Christianity, and Christ being everything one needs. The Colossians needed to be warned about an alternative philosophy which was threatening to draw them away from Christ. As we will see, that philosophy promised things that the Colossians thought they needed. Paul strongly protested this. Everything the Colossians need is to be found in Christ. As they have received Christ, they need to continue to walk in Him. According to Paul, if the Colossians were to reject Christ and seek what they need elsewhere, they would lose the foundation upon which all their strength, growth, and security rests. Chapter 1 reminds the Colossians that Christ is the creator, sustainer, and renewer of all creation. Anyone or anything other than Him would be a secondary source at best or an opposing force at worst. Paul is essentially asking the Colossians, why would you throw away the true foundation of your faith, the source of everything you seek, for a fake? If one removes the sufficiency of Christ from Christianity, everything on which Christianity is based and everything that the Colossians have gained is lost. The life of the believer, therefore, involves trusting Christ, staying connected to Him, and thanking Him for what He has done. Okay, now I'm sorry if this episode has made you feel like you were being pulled in a bunch of different directions or that we were jumping around. The problem is that these verses are a turning point in the letter, and so there are a lot of dots to connect. We are moving from the theological section into a theological application section. In chapter 3, we're going to get into straight-up application, and we'll have another one of these shifting points. Anyway, I hope this episode wasn't too confusing. The rest of the chapter should be more straightforward. Thank you.